0: Situated roughly 10 kilometres north of the 1st Australian Task Force Base at Nui Dat, the village of Binh Bà had a population of around 3,000 people in 1969. Its buildings were constructed mainly of solid brick and tile and laid out in a tidy, rectangular streets. During its first tour in 1966-67, the 5th Battalion of the Royal Australian Regiment, 5 RAR, stationed a rifle company in a mortar section in the village. Their presence provided some deterrence to the Viet Cong activity in the, in the town. Previously, VC tax collectors had operated within town with a propensity to assassinate those who didn't pay, or who were thought to be unsupportive of the communist push. The 5 RAR presence also provided a buffer for the main force at Nui Dát, a forward post capable of providing advance warning of the North Vietnamese Army, NVA, or VC operations. However, maintaining this presence created a drain on the already tight resources of the task force, and so the Australians were removed, to be replaced by elements of the South Vietnamese regional forces. This move would ultimately create an issue for 5 RAR to resolve when they returned to Vietnam in 1969. Welcome to the Australian Military History Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Australian servicemen and women covering events, units and personalities from the Boer War through to the modern day. In 1966, the First Australian Task Force was tasked with securing an area to the north of the port city of Vung Tao. Significant Viet Cong and North Vietnamese activity in the area was threatening the city and the American forces' ability to land supplies in the province. With only three months' training at full strength, the 5th Battalion arrived in Vung Tau by air and sea in March and April 1966, joining one RAR who had been in Vietnam since March 1965. The American 68th Army Aviation Company supplied the battalion with additional training in Vung Tau. The NVA's 274 and 275 regiments were operating in the area and were well equipped and experienced in battle and having support of a large percentage of the local population. The VC also had four companies in the province. This meant that the two Australian battalions were up against roughly eight battalions of enemy. Operation Hardywood was a joint operation with American forces for the purpose of establishing a permanent base for operations throughout the province. The Americans conducted the bulk of the fighting, with the Australians securing the area, which would become the ATF base at Nui Having established the base, 5 RAR set about disrupting enemy activity throughout the wider area. They did this through aggressive patrolling and cordon and search operations. The bulk of the inhabitants of the village and hamlets were farmers or rubber plantation workers, meaning they would traditionally leave their village before dawn and return after dark. In order for the cordon and search operations to be effective, 5 RAR soldiers would set up a cordon around a village through the night to ensure no enemy operative was able to slip away with the locals as they headed out to the fields. A number of NVA and VC were captured during these operations. By the end of their first tour, 5 RAR had established a reasonably secure area, well, as secure as you can be in what was essentially enemy territory, and were able to hand over to 7 RAR. In January 1969, 5 RAR returned to Vietnam and took their place at Nui Dat, by this stage, the task force had managed to seriously curtail NVA and VC activity in the area. The road between Yui and Bin Bar was designated as Amber, meaning that attacks along the road were possible but unlikely. As you can imagine, this didn't sit well with the communists, and so they decided to reassert their influence on the local population. During the night of the 5th and 6th of June, roughly a platoon-sized contingent, say 30 men, infiltrated the village of Bin Bar, Or at least, that's what the original estimate was. Troops from 6 RAR were conducting operations north of Binbar, and enemy troops were putting up a pretty tough resistance. To provide assistance to 6 RAR, a Centurion tank and an armoured recovery vehicle were sent out. At roughly 8am, the vehicles entered the village of Binbar on their way to assist 6 RAR, unaware that the NVA and VC had moved into the village the previous night. A rocket-propelled grenade was fired from one of the buildings and struck the Centurion near its turret, severely wounding a crewman. These vehicles returned fire while backing away. In response, two regional force platoons, South Vietnamese Army, were sent to deal with the situation, but they soon came under heavy rifle and RPG fire, and so they called the task force to come in and assist. D Company, of 5 RAR, was the designated Ready Reaction Force on that day. As the name implies, the Ready Reaction Force is part of the main force which is kitted up and ready for dispatch wherever they're needed at a moment's notice. So in response to the communication from regional forces, D Company was sent to clear Binbar of what was believed to be a platoon strength enemy. In support, D Company had a troop of Centurion tanks from the 1st Armoured Regiment and a troop of M113 Armoured Personnel Carriers from the 3rd Cavalry Regiment. Direct fire support was provided by 105th Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery. Major Murray Blake was in command of the Ready Reaction Force and said to his Company Sergeant Major, There doesn't seem to be much to this. By 10.30, D Company was approaching the village from the south when they were met with a volley of RPGs. The company worked its way to the eastern side of the village and any civilians were encouraged to get out. Initially, D Company was deployed as a blocking force while the regional platoons attempted the clearance. However, it soon became apparent that things were escalating and the regional commander handed over command to Major Blake. Time to rub a little ANZAC on the situation. C Company had been dispatched to counter another enemy attack on the village of Howlong to the south of New So initially, the attack on Binbar was left to D Company. Supported by four Centurion tanks, D Company advanced to the outskirts of the village, coming under light fire. The tanks were effective in dealing with pockets of resistance, and the attackers were able to move into the town. Here, things got a bit tricky. The more confined nature of the street slowed the tanks down, and the RPG fire was soon causing problems. Three of the four tanks were damaged, with crews injured, but they drew enough machine gun and RPG fire to relieve some of the pressure from the infantry. It soon became apparent that they were dealing with more than just a couple of platoons. Documents recovered after the battle showed they were up against a battalion-sized force of at least 200 to 300 troops from the 33rd NVA Regiment. By early afternoon, Major Blake decided to swing his forces around and attack towards the south end of the village with a view to then clearing the western edge of the town. At around 2pm, D Company was joined by B Company under Major Harring. B Company were ordered to establish blocking positions on the south and east of Binbar. 5RAR's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Colin Kahn, now took the overall command of the battle and ordered D Company, with a fresh tank troop and APCs, to launch a second attempt to clear the remaining enemy from the village. With the infantry leading, each with one tank and one APC in support, the second assault on the village began. The Vietnamese enemy had installed themselves in the houses, requiring the Australians to clear each house one at a time. When the pressure mounted on the defenders, they escaped into, a, into the cellars and withdrew through tunnels to the other houses. The Australians' advance was slow due to the requirement to search every house and to allow civilians who had been trapped by the fighting to make their escape. On occasion, VC troops discarded their uniforms and weapons and mingled with the civilians in an attempt to avoid capture as 5 RER moved through. It was during this phase of the battle that Private Wayne Teeling was killed. Private Teeling was conscripted on the 24th of July 1968, and eventually found himself in Platoon D Company, 5 RAR. As Platoon advanced into Binbar, VC troops opened fire from buildings to their front. In the exchange, Private Teeling was wounded in the neck. His comrades dragged him to safety. However, he soon bled to death. He was the only Australian fatality of the battle. The Centurion supporting Platoon fired a high explosive round into the building, and the infantry assaulted the ruins. Inside, they found six dead VC. This became the pattern of the battle for the rest of the afternoon. Fire would erupt from buildings, the tanks would fire into them, and the infantry would mop up. Villagers were escorted from the area, and took shelter in underground bunkers. As the afternoon wore on, and a substantial portion of the village remained in NVA and VC hands, it became apparent the fight would not be won that day. Exhausted, the men of D Company established a defensive perimeter and settled down for the night. Now, under any other circumstances, settling down for the night sounds like a pleasant thing. But think about the position they found themselves in. Halfway through a village which still contained an unknown number of enemy troops. Darkness all around, and an enemy known to be able to move through the shadows. You'd have to think that for the diggers, every sound, every scurrying animal, every breath of air could potentially be an enemy soldier approaching in the dark. All I can say is bugger that. After what was no doubt a sleepless night... Day 2 of the hostilities kicked off at about 6am on the 7th of June. An NVA company attempted to enter the town, but met stiff resistance from B Company in their blocking position. This caused the NVA to reassess just how badly they wanted to get into the village, and they decided that withdrawal was a better option. Back in the village, D Company got underway again in the same fashion they had the previous day, with coordinated building-by-building clearances. By mid-morning, the Communists focused their attention on a hamlet just north of Binbar, Duck Trung, where South Vietnamese troops set up a defence. Somewhere between 80 and 100 troops assaulted the hamlet and the hard-pressed South Vietnamese requested support. B Company and some of the assault pioneer platoon were dispatched to deal with this situation. By 1pm, the South Vietnamese garrison had been overrun, but with accurate artillery fire and tank support, B Company were able to retake the hamlet. Back in Bar, enemy activity had decreased to small pockets of resistance which D Company had to overcome one at a time with fierce close quarter fighting. But by mid-afternoon they were able to withdraw and hand over to the regional forces to complete the digging out of the final few defenders. With night time drawing in again and the village now secure, D and B Company set up blocking positions overnight. At 9am the following morning, the 8th of June, a final sweep of the village was conducted which met no resistance. The assault on the village had defeated a sizable communist force, and indeed spelled the end of large-scale incursions in Phuc Thuy Province for the remainder of the war. The battle had cost Australians 1 killed and 10 wounded, with a number of tanks damaged. The communist forces lost 107 killed, 6 wounded and 8 POWs. The ratio of killed to wounded gives a stark indication of how hard the North Vietnamese fought. The village of Inbar itself was destroyed in the battle, so much so that the villagers were relocated with the assistance of the civil affairs unit. Unfortunately, a substantial number of civilians were killed in the battle, and this led to reports of a massacre by Australian troops. The ABC ran a report in 1980 from a participant in the battle and a correspondent who was in Saigon at the time. The report stated that up to 70 civilians had been killed by Australian troops. The report stopped short of accusing 5AR of deliberately targeting villagers but it was implied that not enough had been done to ensure they were given proper assistance to vacate the area prior to the battle, a claim strongly denied by Department of Defence and other veterans who had been at Binh Bar. A Department of Defence spokesman stated that prior to authorising the assault, a village leader called out to his people to leave the area. Some did, but you have to consider the position of those who chose to stay. They knew there was a large VC force in their or their neighbours' homes, and the VC had been known to treat non-supporters quite harshly. The villagers' choice seemed to be either leave the shelter of their homes and risk being shot by the VC, or staying and hoping they would come through safely. The Australians had little choice but to prosecute the assault to their fullest ability. To refuse to do so, because the locals had elected not to evacuate, would give the enemy the opportunity to establish a strong base 10 kilometres north of the task force. That would be a militarily stupid decision. It's likely that the people of Binbar were victims of circumstance. As always happens when wars are fought in amongst civilian populations, it's usually the innocent who suffer the most. So what was the aftermath of BINBAR? Well, as I said, it was the last time a major operation was launched against Australian troops in the war. It would be nice to think that 5 RAR had inflicted such a massive defeat that the NVA and VC didn't want to target Australians again. But I'm pretty sure that's not the case. Taking a look at the bigger picture will give a bit more of an accurate idea. It was roughly 18 months after the launch of the Tet Offensive, an event which is regarded as a turning point in American support for the conflict. The public had been assured the US forces were winning the war, and that the North Vietnamese were on their last legs. Powerful, coordinated attacks across the country soon proved this claim to be a lie. By June 1969, the North must have been aware that America was losing its will to fight. As General Haig had believed in 1914-18 that the war could only be won by defeating Germany on the Western Front, The communists must have believed that the only way they could bring the war to a speedier conclusion was to defeat America. Let's face it, they could have wiped out the entire Australian contingent and still be no closer to winning the war. The focus had to be on forcing an American withdrawal. That's my amateur strategist take on it anyway. Regardless of why, the fact remains there were no further major operations in Phuc Thuy province, and although small raids and probes were carried out over the following years, in general, the people of the province could go about their day-to-day lives in comparative safety until the Australian Task Force withdrew from Vietnam in 1973 hope you enjoyed that episode if so be sure to subscribe leave a comment and share among your friends if you have any topics relating to our military history which you would like me to present drop me a line through the website at the australian military history Podcast.com or on facebook or follow us on instagram at amh podcast all one word and thank you for listening to the australian military history podcast selling a little or a lot